You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. The Bible reading is the book of Ephesians, uh, starting at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his right glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Uh, Thanks, Christina. Uh, Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, My name's Aaron, one of the pastors here at DPC. Um, this might be a little bit kind of random if you're visiting today, but uh, just for context, I've just had, uh, or I'm sort of easing back into ministry after having a couple of months off. Uh, and so I just wanted to provide a little bit of context to this series we're about to start in the book of Ephesians. Uh, what did I want to say? Uh, it's really good to have the opportunity to preach uh, on the book of Ephesians. Uh, when the elders and Adam and I were chatting about what we might preach on at this point in the year, in October last year, we thought we were going to do a book on Levitic, uh, a series on Leviticus uh, as a way of following up on a series we'd previously done in, in the book before that in Exodus. Uh, but after kind of a series we did earlier this year called God's Good Design, uh, after a couple of congregational meetings and me taking some time off and Adam having a long uh, kind of series on Psalms, which I'm very grateful for and was wonderful. After all of that, uh, Adam and I were discussing different options. The elders were discussing different options. And we thought it was best to change things up and do a series on Ephesians 1 to 4, uh, for the most part for the rest of this year. Uh, the main two reasons for that uh, were that uh, that... Uh, after a couple of pretty tough years for us as a church family with lots of different stuff going on, uh, we thought that it was about time for all of us, including me and the elders, uh, to think about what does it mean for us to be the church together? Uh, The church, uh, as God's people gathered under Jesus as Lord, uh, what does it mean for us 
to be the church. What does it look like for us to live out our lives as the church together? Uh, Ephesians is a book that has a real focus on that. So we thought that would be a really good refresher for us. The second reason is that uh, just in the next two or three months we're going to be moving into some uh, new church buildings uh, which are really taking shape and we're so thankful for that just over off High Street here in Thornbury. Uh, But we're absolutely aware that the church isn't primarily a building but a people, a community of people seeking to live out their faith in the Lord Jesus together. And so we thought, hey, it's, it's timely for us to consider what does it mean for us to be the church and to live as God's people together. So that's a little bit of context for why we're doing this series in Ephesians. With all that in mind, let's pray and ask for God's help. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together this afternoon. Uh, We pray, uh, Father, that you might speak to us through your word, uh, that your word uh, might penetrate our hearts and minds and bring change to us for Jesus' glory, we pray. Amen. Uh, There is an outline of my talk on the welcome card that you can find on our church website if that's useful for you uh, as you follow along. Hopefully I'll be clear enough, you might not need it, but if that's helpful for you, you can follow. Uh, I do wonder, uh, when was the last time uh, when you found yourself just overflowing with thankfulness? Uh, For me, this doesn't happen that often. Maybe you're the same, overflowing with thankfulness. Uh, But it does happen sometimes, I can remember. Uh, in particular, at the moment when each of my three children were born, I have three kids, Ada's 10, Charlie's 7 and Felix is 4. He'll tell you that if you ask him. He recently turned 4. Uh, he's very excited about it. Uh, and so uh, at the moment when each of my kids were born, I, I just my heart was full of love for them and it overflowed with thankfulness. I just wanted to tell everyone about it. I wanted to get on the phone, call my parents, say they're, they're here, they're arrived. Wanted to share a photo with family and friends. Wanted to post it on Facebook because I'm 40 and I still use Facebook. Uh, other people uh, might you know, have Instagram or X, that's what it's called these days because Elon Musk changed the name uh, from Twitter, right? Uh, and so but you get the idea. I was so pumped, so full of love for my children that I was overflowing with thankfulness. This is kind of how we work as people. Are the things that have captured our hearts that we really love are the things that we overflow in thanks and praise about. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a little book about the Psalms, another part of the Bible, and he was exploring this connection between love and praise. This is what he said. Uh, He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes our enjoyment of it. It's not out of compliments that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. Their delight is incomplete until it's expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a brand new author and not be able to tell anyone about how good they are. He goes on giving more and more examples. You get the idea. We delight to give thanks and praise to the things that we love most deeply to the things that have captured our hearts. And that's what Paul's doing in today's passage. His heart has been captured by the love of God for him, shown to him in Jesus, God's son, and he's overflowing with praise. If you take a look there in verse 3, Paul starts by saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And actually, Paul continues in one long sentence all the way through to the end of verse 14 in this kind of eruption of praise to God. It's like when Paul starts contemplating every blessing that God has given him in Jesus, God's son, he can't stop. You know when someone's really excited and you just want to kind of get a word in, uh, but they just don't stop to draw breath? That's what Paul's like in this passage, overflowing with praise. And my aim, maybe it's a little ambitious, but my aim is that by the time we have finished our time looking at Paul's prayer today, uh, that we might be ready to join in with him, uh, that we might be overflowing with praise too. Uh, Not just actually for a moment today, but actually that we as God's people here at DPC, I know some of you are visiting, but we who are regulars here at DPC, I've been praying that we would increasingly become a praise-filled church. I think that's the kind of church that God wants us to be. And not a church full of superficial praise, you know, where you have to turn up and pretend that everything's okay and have a smile on your face and clap your hands and it's like Mark's testimony to a degree, isn't it? Hey, being a good Christian means I can't... No, not that. And also not praise to the exclusion of other important emotions that we've just looked at in the book of Psalms. Expressing lament and sorrow and crying out to God for justice. All of that is legitimate. But God's people are those who in all circumstances overflow with thanks and praise to God for their hearts have been captured by the love of God shown in Jesus Christ. So my kind of key idea today is that the more that our hearts are captured by Christ's overflowing love for us shown at the cross, the more our church will be filled with overflowing praise to God. That's the summary. So first, let's take a look at this big list of blessings that Paul starts by giving thanks to God for in verse 3. You can kind of group them into three categories, past, present and future blessings. So if you look there at verse 4, we see the past blessing. Paul says he's praising God for, verse 4, because God chose us in Christ before the foundation or before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, some of you might have questions about this idea that before the creation of the world, God chose people to be his. You might think, gee, that doesn't seem quite fair, does it? Like, why does God choose that person and not that person? And you might also think, but didn't I choose God? I mean, Mark and Jordan have both said to us today there was a point where they chose to put their faith in God. So how does that fit together with the idea that God chose them? Those are really important questions. Happy to chat about them later on. But notice that for Paul, the idea that God chooses people to be his isn't a reason to kind of question God and get frustrated with God and say it's not fair, God. It's a reason to praise God. Why is that? It's because for for Paul, it blew his mind that out of all the people on the planet, God had chosen him. God wanted him to be his. As he says in verse 4, to be his treasured possession, someone who he finds precious. And notice that when God chose Christians, when did God choose Paul? He says, uh, chosen before the creation of the world. 
Sometimes we might think, well, sure, God might choose people, but only the people who've achieved enough or who are good enough or who've gone to church enough or who've attained a certain level of religiousness. But Paul says, no, 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 God chooses people before they're even born, before the creation of the world. He doesn't choose people based on their goodness, but on his goodness, simply because he wanted to choose them. You see, most of us spend our whole lives trying to prove that we're significant by convincing other people that we're good enough to be chosen. It starts in the schoolyard, doesn't it? You know, picking teams in PE class or something. And there's always the kid who's last to be chosen. You're kind of like, ah, it's really hard to be there. Am I good enough to be chosen? I bet it continues on. Good enough to get that scholarship, to get a place at that university good enough to get a job or a promotion or a particular ministry role, good enough to be chosen as someone's husband or wife. So much of our sense of personal significance is wrapped up in being good enough to be chosen by other people. And so isn't Christianity wonderful news? It says that your significance is not attached to other people thinking you're good enough to be chosen, but it's attached to God's goodness and him choosing you before the creation of the world. This is the first wonderful blessing that Paul is praising God for in verse 3. And then Paul lists a whole lot of present blessings. Uh, There's three or four of them. The first is uh, freedom, true freedom that you can enjoy as a Christian. He says in verse 7, in Christ, in him, uh, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins uh, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Uh, that word redemption, it's not a word we use often these days. It, it, simply, it sort of means freedom. In Paul's day, it would have most commonly been used in the local marketplace. Uh, there was a massive slave trade in the Greco-Roman world and so you could go down to the local marketplace and pay the redemption price to a slave owner to set a particular slave free. And so Paul's kind of taking that language of redemption and in doing that, uh, there's a hidden assumption, isn't there? He's saying that spiritually speaking, all of us were once slaves or we are slaves. And actually Jesus says the same thing. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. You see, sometimes we think that sin is, well, sure, I'm not perfect. Like I, I do the wrong thing every now and then and we think that's what sin is. But in the Bible, sin is a bit deeper than that. It's the rebellious choice that all of us make to put something or someone other than God at the centre of our lives. And Jesus is saying that if you make that choice, the person or thing that you put at the centre of your life will in the end control you. It will enslave you. It will sort of dominate your life. So anyone who puts money at the centre of their life because they perhaps think it's the key to comfort or status or control, anyone who does that will end up being controlled by money. Their whole life will sort of be dominated by the pursuit of money. They'll sacrifice pretty much anything to get more money. That's the way it works. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Anyone who puts approval at the centre of their life. You know, you're the sort of person who is desperate for everyone to be happy with you and to like you. Isn't it true that your life, at least to some degree, ends up being controlled by the very people that you're desperate to please? 
I've experienced it. I confessed it recently. I've experienced this in my own ministry. Sometimes being driven far too much by getting other people to like me or be happy with me rather than thinking primarily about what would please Jesus. But anyone who sins is a slave to sin. This is our story, the story of all of us, unless, of course, as Paul says, you've put your faith in Jesus, in which case you've been redeemed, Paul says. We have redemption through his blood. You see, our sin of rejecting God, the source of all life, leads to the punishment of Death. Well, that's the consequence, right? If you cut yourself off from the source of all life, the consequence must be death. But Paul's saying that Christ's blood shed on the cross paid that penalty of death for you in your place. So he's saying the penalty for sin has been paid and therefore the power of sin has been broken. You've been set free. Not completely free. You've heard Mark's testimony and Jordan's testimony. You've heard me say, none of us are perfect. We still struggle with sin. But through Christ we have been freed. Freed to live a life not not primarily in slavery to sin but in service of Jesus our Lord. Through Christ we can have this significance in being chosen, this wonderful freedom through Christ's blood shed on the cross. A third, uh, Paul talks about the blessing, uh, what are we up to? The blessing of, per, uh, of adoption, of love, being loved by God. And notice at the end of verse 4, Paul says, In love God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Uh, For something like uh, 40 years nearly, she's nearing retirement, my mother-in-law has worked as a social worker in the area of adoption and permanent care. Uh, You might imagine that she's heard lots of heartbreaking stories over the years. Uh, Stories of kids whose parents just openly rejected them, left them on the street, left them in the hospital. Kids have been passed from family to family over many years, institution to institution, kids who no one wanted. Like all sorts of heartbreaking stories. And yet also heartwarming stories. Are the moments when a couple or a family finally says, yes, we want that child who's been rejected to be a permanent member of our family. We're not only willing to do that, but we're eager to do it. We're pleased to do it. And Paul's saying that's what God does. When God sets you free through Jesus' death on the cross, he doesn't just keep you at arm's length. He adopts you into his family. He loves you as his child. And he gives you a permanent place in his family. And notice what Paul says. He says he doesn't do that through gritted teeth or because someone forces him to do it. He doesn't do it because his arms twisted behind his back. What does Paul say? He says it's God's pleasure and will to adopt you. God was delighted to choose you before the creation of the world, not just to be forgiven and redeemed and kept at a distance from him, but to be adopted into his family and loved by him. This is really the pinnacle of being a Christian, being welcomed into the very family of God. 
knowing that you're his beloved child, his treasured possession, the apple of his eye. And having been adopted into God's family, uh, Paul also talks about the new purpose that we have as Christians. I notice in verse 8, or from verse 8, Paul says, uh, with all wisdom and understanding, uh, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, uh, which he purposed in Christ uh, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, uh, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now those, those verses are a bit of a mouthful, we don't have time to unpack all of us, but they are touching on an important question that every single human being has to ask themselves. And that is, what's the purpose of my life? What's the kind of meaning of my existence? On the one hand, there would be some people like uh, Richard Dawkins, the atheist Oxford professor that Adam mentioned last week. Uh, He would say, stop kidding yourself, there's no ultimate meaning or purpose in the universe. Uh, Here's an uplifting quote from Richard Dawkins. Uh, The universe uh, that we observe uh, has precisely the properties we should expect uh, if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. There you go, it's your Sunday afternoon pick-me-up. You can go home. No, But there are some people who say, the sooner you realise that, the better off you'll be. Stop looking for some ultimate meaning or purpose in the universe. At best, what you can do is make your own purpose or meaning. So one writer says, uh, there's not one uh, one cosmic meaning for all. Uh, there's um, There's only the meaning that we each give to our own lives, an individual book or plot that we write ourselves. What does Christianity say? What does Paul say in verses 8 to 10? He says he disagrees with Dawkins. There is an ultimate purpose and meaning to the universe. Everything is heading towards something. And he said he disagrees with the people who say, yeah, you'll find purpose in making your own purpose in meaning because he says, no, 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 you'll find purpose in understanding the plans and purposes of God and finding your place in his story, right? God is writing a massive story, the history of the cosmos and we find our purpose and meaning in playing our role in his story. And Paul in verses 8 to 10 is saying if you're a Christian and you understand the gospel, God has given you a sneak peek of the end of the story. He has shown you, he has made known to you how the story ends and it ends with Jesus Christ as Lord over everyone and everything. And he says right now we see that in the church where people willingly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord but at the end of all things we'll see that everywhere. Everything in heaven and on earth will be gathered under Jesus as Lord. So if you want to find purpose and meaning in life consider what it means for Jesus to be Lord of all. The last present kind of blessing that Christians have in the present is that of security. Uh, Paul speaks about it in verse 13. Take a look in verse 13. Uh, He says, And you also, 
Uh, The you also there is distinguished from the we in the previous verse. And so Paul's writing to a group of people, uh, a mix of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, The we who were the first to put their hope in Christ just before this, those are the Jewish people who first heard the gospel in Jerusalem and believed it, uh, became Christians. Uh, But now in, in verse 13 he says, and you also are included in Christ. If you're not a Jewish person, he's saying you're not second rate. You're equally a part of God's people. You also were included in Christ, Paul says, when you heard the message of the truth, uh, the gospel of your salvation. Uh, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, I grew up in Bendigo in central Victoria. Uh, I was a town kid, uh, not out on a farm, but there are lots of farms around Bendigo. Uh, and sometimes Dad and I would walk down to the local sale yards, right? It was exciting as a young kid. Uh, the farmers bring in their cows and sheep from around the area, more sheep than cows up around Bendigo. Uh, and sometimes I'd observe that they were getting mixed up as they went through the sale yards. And I remember asking Dad, how do the farmers know which ones belong to them? And at least part of his answer was, well, they've probably been branded with the personal seal of the farm that they're from. That's the farm that they belong to. That's what Paul's saying here. How do you know that you belong to God? You've been branded with his seal. What is the seal? It's the promised Holy Spirit, Paul says. The Spirit who enables you to cry out to God as your loving Heavenly Father and know that you are his. Why is this important? Well, sometimes you might have a a thought that, well, yeah, sure, I've believed in Jesus and I know that I'm set free in him and I know that in a sense I'm a part of God's family, but maybe he might disown me at some point. Maybe he might kind of kick me out if I'm bad enough. Paul says, no. God has sealed you as belonging to him. He's given you his spirit. You are his, not just today, but forever. There's absolute security in this. And so you see in verse 14, Paul can speak confidently about future blessings too. Look in verse 14. He says, The Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Like all families, once you're a part of the family, generally speaking, you get to share in the family inheritance. Paul says, the same if you're a Christian. Adopted into God's family, you get to share in everything that belongs to your heavenly Father. What is that? Well, it's kind of the heavens and the earth. He made all things, everything belongs to him. So this wonderful inheritance is what you look forward to. You say, well, how can I know? Well, Paul says, God's already given you a taste of it. How does he describe the Spirit in verse 14? It's a deposit It's a down payment that says, it's God saying, hey, I'm good for the rest of it. You know, I've given you a taste of the new creation, a new heavens, a new earth where everything will be made new and I'll just give you a little taste of it now so that you know that the rest of the inheritance is coming. These are the wonderful blessings that Paul starts praising God for all the way back in verse 3. How is it that we experience these blessings? What's the source of these blessings? Paul's really clear in the passage uh, that these blessings come from knowing God and not from having a kind of vague sense of spirituality. Like lots of people uh, I talk to would say, well, sure, I'm kind of spiritual. 
but not religious, like not from having a vague sense of spirituality or from believing in some generic God. No, Paul says these blessings come from knowing the God who has revealed himself as three, one God in three persons, the Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit. And so you'll notice in this passage that all the actions are being carried out by God. That's God the Father. If you scan through, you see that God the Father, Paul says, has blessed us, has chosen us, has predestined us, has redeemed us, has adopted us. What else has God? God has made known his plan to us. God has lavished us with his grace. God the Father is doing all of these things, but who is he doing it through? Well, Paul repeatedly says, in him, in Christ. The only way to access these blessings from God the Father is to be united to Jesus God's Son by putting your faith in him. That's how you get in him. You're united with him. So you share the blessings that come from him. That's why they're spiritual blessings. As Christians we believe Jesus was physically raised from the dead and physically he's at the right hand of God in heaven. How is it that we can be united with Jesus? Like I'm not holding his hand, you know. I can't be, we're united with him by the power of his spirit. Which is why Paul says we have every every spiritual blessing. We have blessings in the heavenly realms, Paul says, because spiritually we're united with Christ. You see, Paul's pretty clear. You have to sort of read between the lines a bit. But these blessings are found in knowing God being drawn into the very life of the Trinity, knowing God the Father through faith in Jesus his Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, it's knowing God, we'll see next week, that is really the ultimate blessing. You know, on Christmas Day, you know, you know what it's like. On Christmas Day, I give my kids gifts uh, and then they're more interested in the gifts or the blessings than they are in me. I'm like, wait a second, I, I gave the gifts. And this is what some of it, the passage isn't primarily about the gifts or the blessings, it's about the God who gives them. What a wonderful God, Father, Son and Spirit, to bless us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so the purpose of the blessings is to give praise to God. You scan through the passage, you see in verse 3, Verse 6, verse 12, verse 14, Paul says again and again and again, God gave these gifts that his people might praise his glorious grace. Paul clearly expects that God's people, the church, who've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus would be a praise-filled people, a people overflowing with thanks to God. And on a good day, that's true of all of us, I suspect, if you're a Christian. Your heart is overflowing with thanks and praise to God. It's not that hard to be like that today. The sun's out. We've seen a couple of baptisms. It's exciting, like you're overflowing with thanks and praise to God. But if you're anything like me, sometimes it's, it's a bit of a struggle to overflow in thanks and praise to God. Sometimes I find that I'm quicker to overflow with thanks for the Melbourne Football Club. Or, you know, for a good coffee or a nice glass of Shiraz. You know, like, like a, what's the problem? It could be lots of different things. Why do we struggle with it? It might just be that we're tired. 
It might just be that you don't have a very expressive personality and you like to keep your feelings in. I don't know. It might be that you're actually really discouraged or you're really depressed. You might be just in a really hard spot in life or in your relationship with God for some reason. Lots of different reasons why people might be struggling to be sort of expressing thanks and praise to God. But I did just want to come back to where I started with that reality that we do tend to be overflowing with thanks and praise, most particularly for the things that we love most deeply, the things we're most passionate about, the things that have captured our hearts. So how is it that we as a church family can see the love of God shown to us in Christ Jesus capture our hearts all the more deeply so that all the more we are a praise-filled church? There might be lots of ways that that could happen. I want to suggest that the main way is as we keep reminding one another of what Christ was willing to do for us. To use the language of today's passage, Christ in his great love was willing to endure the fullness of God's curse for us that by faith in him we might enjoy the fullness of God's blessing. You repeated that Christ, in Christ we have been given every spiritual blessing. If you were reading that as someone who'd read the whole Old Testament, you'd think, gee, that's a bit weird. Because in the Old Testament, God repeatedly said to his people, uh, if you want to enjoy fullness of blessing, uh, of being in relationship with me and being in my presence, uh, then you have to do what I say. You have to obey my law. Right? He said that. Blessings and curses in the Old Testament. On the other hand, if you disobey what I've said, you'll be cast out of my presence. You'll be separated from me. Indeed, God says you'll experience curses that come from being separated from me. So how is it that we, who clearly don't do a great job of following God's commands, like I personally fail to love God as I should and fail to love others as I should, I'm much too absorbed with myself, how is it that we through faith in Jesus, can experience every spiritual blessing rather than experiencing God's curse. Well, it's because of what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You see, Paul's explaining to us that the Christ endured the fullness of God's curse for us on the cross. The heart of God's curse was being cast out of God's presence. And what did Jesus cry out from the cross? But my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cast out of God's presence, experiencing the fullness of God's curse that we might be drawn into God's presence, drawn into his family no less and experience every spiritual blessing. This is what will fill us with great love for Christ as our hearts and minds and eyes are lifted to the glory of what he was willing to do for us on the cross. Our hearts are full of captured by great love for him and so we're overflowing with thanks to God as Paul is in this passage. Uh, Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. Uh, We pray, Father, that 
uh, by its power, our hearts might all the more be captured by your wonderful love for us shown in Jesus, your son, uh, and that in so doing uh, that our hearts, our church, would be overflowing with praise to you. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.